Hey, hey everyone. Welcome to Home Energy Design. How to design a beautiful home and life and make sure it's energy aligned. I'm your host, Amanda Gates, and I'm an interior designer and feng shui practitioner. And these combined skills have made me a floor plan reading expert. Energy design is like astrology for your home and your life. And who doesn't want more of that? I believe in all things pretty. In fact, my team and I love the pretty. But what makes my firm different is that we can help you create designs that are also energy aligned to help you get the home and life you've always dreamed of. Are you ready? Let's do this. Every great story has a hero. Bottom line, most of us look to those external things for solutions. But the wisdom is within us. Hey, hey, everyone. This is your host, Amanda Gates. Welcome to the Home Energy Design Show. Today, I am so excited to share with you author, herbalist, and just kick-ass woman, Brittany Wood Nickerson, author of Recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen. Now, listen, when I picked up this book, it was as if the angels were singing. Seriously, there are just kindred spirits that are out there that have a true understanding of why being intentional about the things that we do matters and the energy that goes into those things. I constantly tell my clients how important it is that when they are cooking in the kitchen, it's imperative that you drive delicious energy into what you're doing. Whether you chant and pray or listen to music and dance, it should be a happy, intentional, loving experience because you're driving that energy into the food that you're cooking, prepping, chopping, baking, whatever it is that you're doing to it. And then your family, friends, neighbors eat that energy. So the thing that I love about Brittany is she so gets this. She has rekindled this relationship and love affair with food and made it so damn sexy, it's not even a joke. She's a practicing herbalist and a health educator, along with being a cook, but she's also a kick-ass author. She put together this book that is a perfect combination of explanation education and delicious amazing recipes that are just going to make your mouth water as i read the book it just made me want to get my butt in the kitchen like a nobody's business so today we talk about why gratitude around our food is so important why we want to include herbs in our food to help aid in digestion and why we need to get rid of this idea that stress is actually productive and instead look at it as it makes us stupid, right? (laughs) All right, everyone. Let's welcome Brittany to the show. Are you ready? Let's do this. Well, first and foremost, thank you for saying yes to this. I love your book. Oh, good. I'm so pleased. I love it. I, there's, so I am an interior designer, but I specialize in feng shui. And so really what we do is feng shui is at the forefront of everything we do. It's all about energy and, and, you know, the, the romance of why energy matters and how we cultivate self and how we nurture ourselves. And so, um, I talk a lot about the importance of food and, I'm not a chef. I don't know anything, you know, I cook, but like not at your level. Um, But one of the things that I always tell my clients is this idea of when you are cooking and prepping and chopping and and baking and doing all those things, 
to have a, a strong relationship with your food and to chant and to pray and be thankful about it and drive that delicious energy into it because that's what you're sharing with your friends and your family. And yourself. Right. Good point. <laughs> so when I found your book, I was like, hallelujah, this woman's singing my language. <laughs> so I'm honored. Just, Thank you. I actually had, been, had, had had a friend like mm, a couple years ago um, direct me to your podcast. So I, I was familiar with your work. So I was honored to get the inquiry. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> we've, we've actually, um, we've ramped it up. I was doing it once a month. Mm -hmm. And now I'm doing it once a week and that's challenging, but we love it because we're able to connect with so many more people now. So it's been awesome. So, but it's a big commitment. It's a, it's a full-time job just doing this, but mm -hmm. you know, we have 20 other things that we need to be doing too. And so like, you know, I, I'm a huge activist for the environment. So there's that whole element. And, and I just finished writing, I wrote an ebook on, uh, easy ways for people to start being eco-friendly. So like, that's a huge thing that's I'm passionate about. Yeah. And then this idea of feng shui and why energy matters and then making our environments pretty. Oh, and plus I'm a podcast host and it's like, you know, just managing all these things. Oh, and I also have a YouTube channel too. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an overachiever at all. So, no, no, no. <laughs> so but I think but this like it genuinely makes you happy because you're passionate about it. Oh, without a doubt. And I think that my husband and I don't have kids. And so we are both very passionate about what we do. And that's the hard part. Like when I was writing the book, it's like I tuned everything else out because I was writing about things that I truly believe in, things that I do every day and the things that I'm hoping that people will be inspired to do. And it's like, I love the planet. We all call it home. We should all feel this way. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, feng shui, I love it. Chinese medicine, I love it. Um, so it, it, can, it can be quite addicting. So I, I, I'm sure you can resonate to that. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, totally. Absolutely. And I just, just can nerd out to no end. Yeah, well, we're going to nerd out today because I, I, I think that um, your message and, and how you, the romance that you've really put back into the what food should be, I think is what people needs to hear. So yeah. love here, you know, how you, how you introduced yourself to me and that idea of the feng shui. And I, I, I really love thinking about the idea that if the, if feng shui is about not only how is our home designed, but how we feel in that space to feel like good energy flow, then that's not only going to affect our thoughts, but the thoughts we have in that space are like part of the design of the space. And I think that's one of the things I've always felt really passionate about with food. It, so much of the dialogue people have around food is questioning, guilt, um, and just feelings of like shame, or I'm not sure, should I eat this? What should I be eating? And those kinds of feelings actually change their physiology and also how nourishing or not the food is for them. And so I think that those like more positive, you said chanting and praying and those kinds of things when you're, when you're bringing to your food, no matter what it is, make such an impact on the nourishment you receive from it. Well, I think that there's a lack of appreciation for what goes in. A lot of people, it's like, it's out of sight, out of mind, and it just magically appears on your plate. And it's like, 
but what really went into the watering, the growing, the soil, the, you know, the manufacturing, the packaging, the traveling, I mean, so much goes into getting it to you. And it's like, people don't even think about that or the sheer fact of growing it. You know, for me to get one tomato takes three months. Yeah, I know. And then we go to the store and buy it for like a dollar. It's crazy. Let me back up. I want to uh, properly introduce my guest today. Uh, I have Brittany Nickerson on today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, What Brittany and I were just talking about is this idea of romance behind food. And I resonate so much with her book, Recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen, Delicious Nourishing Food for Lifelong Health and Well-Being. Um, I think that as my listeners, I've heard so much from you, um, about really resonating with a lot of the guests that I have on the show. And I think that you're going to really resonate with Brittany because I talk a lot about the importance of food and how the energy that we drive into food is what we drive out to our friends, family, neighbors, and who we feed. So before we dive into really the nitty gritty here, you're an herbalist and you know, you've got this core belief around food as medicine, which I totally agree. Um, this idea that cooking, prepping, and preparing food is really about simplicity. Uh, and you say in your book, it's about simplicity, intention, and awareness. So I'm curious about how this approach changes our relationship to food so that it does improve our overall health and well-being. Because it does, it does have that element, and nobody sees it as that way. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to answer the question in two ways, and the first is to talk more from a psycho-spiritual perspective, and then the second is to connect the psycho-spiritual with the physical. So um, I think that the the first instinct that I have in response to that question is that the thoughts we have and the relationship with it we have with our daily life can be life-giving and nurturing and it can help to sustain us and help to you know build energy in our body and make us feel good about ourselves or it can kind of rob life from us it can it can have negative patterns it can be challenging and it can make us doubt ourselves or question ourselves and the the kind of inner dialogue that we experience and then how that inner dialogue manifests in our lives um, through how we feed ourselves how we interact with people how we prioritize ourselves how we take care of ourselves all of those things affect how much we are either nourishing ourselves or not nourishing ourselves. So just by by the way that we're thinking about food and how that relationship with food is, um, is working to care for us is either feeding or not feeding our psycho spiritual side. Um, And when you look at physiology, um, in relationship to food, one of the most important things that you've probably seen in the book, one of my kind of theses of the book, is that we are not what we eat, we are what we digest. And I think that that's a big kind of misconception or issue that we have in the way we think about healthy food in our culture. We think all about what are we eating? What are the nutrients? Um, where did it come from? Does, you know, Is it good for us? That's great, but you can eat really, really healthy food, and if you're not digesting it well, you're not going to get the nutrients from it. So one of the main projects of this book is to help teach people about digestion, why we pay attention to digestion, the importance of it, and then how culinary herbs are a key piece of the cultural heritage around supporting digestion and the assimilation of nutrients. 
And so that digestion piece is actually directly related to our psycho-spiritual um, relationship with food. Because when we have stressful thoughts or thoughts that are negative or non-life-giving, it slows down the digestive process because we actually go into a fight or flight response. And it might not be a serious fight or flight response, like I'm running from a tiger or I almost got hit by a car, but it's a mild response, right? And so that mild stress response slows down digestion and impairs absorption of nutrients. Whereas if we have life-giving thoughts that are positive and calming, where we love ourselves or others, we think about how wonderful the food is, how nourishing it is, where it came from, how good we feel about cooking it for ourselves or others. Um, then that actually puts us into what we call the parasympathetic state, which is the rest or digest state. And that helps to support digestion and helps to improve our ability to access and absorb nutrients. So we can see the direct physiological backlash or response to our um, thoughts in the digestion piece. And it's um, really, really important. I've seen lots of clients over the years who have issues with digestion and you go back and you look at their story around food and um, change that story and their digestion changes. So it can be miraculous. Yeah. And I love that you talk so much about this idea of digestion in the book because one, there's so much coming out of gut health and how important it is. And this idea of leaky gut so we aren't, we are so malabsorbed and basic everyday nutrients are not getting into our system. But also this idea that stress changes how we digest food. It prevents us from digesting food properly. And so we tend to look to external things as the problem or that a pill will fix it. Yeah. This idea that you're, you're adding in this element of not fixing the symptom, but rather finding a true solution naturally. But <clears throat> I think it's also important that this element of really looking at our food in a new way, it's not just something that you slam down because you're hungry so that you can continue to go through your day and, and you know, do your 25 things on your to-do list. It's about slowing down, stepping out of the chaos, and really having that relationship with your food, which is something else that you talk a lot about in the book about this relationship thing with your food. And that may be foreign to some people. It wasn't to me. I heard the angels singing. <laughs> um, but I love because, you know, I, I always tell my clients to chant and pray and, and or listen to music and dance and sing and really have a sacred experience when they're cooking because when you're elevated you drive that into the food and then your experience with sharing the meal is then sacred and elevated and it just becomes this beautiful magical place and so I think that that answers this question but as I was reading the book one of the the things that kind of popped up is what really makes your approach what makes your relationship and the way you view food different from say an all-american chef mm -hmm. yeah um uh probably a couple of things um one is that i look at my food preparation with the intention of maximizing the absorption of nutrients so i'm actually 
I see food preparation as an invitation or a vehicle into making a food more digestible. Um, and so I'm, when I prepare food, I am thinking about how I can maximize nutri nutrition from that food and make it as easy for my body to absorb as possible. And then, of course, I'm also thinking about flavor. And I'm really interested in particularly in the ways that some of these like ancient culinary practices that we, that I certainly learned, um, at least partly in relationship to maximizing flavor actually have some medicinal benefit behind them as well. So I'm really interested in the kind of parallels between those two things. Um, but for example, um, let's say I was going to make a soup. I would, let's say a chicken soup. I would start by slow simmering the chicken meat on the bone and I would add something acidic to the broth, maybe a little bit of lemon juice or some apple cider vinegar. And what that acid does is help to leach minerals from the bones. So I'm actually maximizing the amount of nutrition um, by pulling extra minerals out of the bone so that my broth is even more nutritious. I might choose to cook it for a certain number of hours, not just for flavor, but so that I could also pull gelatin out of the connective tissues of that to make that broth gelatin rich, both of which are really important nutrients for digestion and just for general health in the body. And I might choose to add my culinary herbs at the end because that's going to mean that more of the aromatic compounds of the culinary herbs are retained in the cooking process rather than evaporating off as it simmers. So I'm getting the great flavor, but I'm also getting the medicine of those. Um, so I make a lot of decisions around that. The other thing that I think about a lot is um, in terms of food preparation, I'm always planning a couple steps ahead because when I prepare any kind of grain, legume, or seed, which includes nuts, I soak them before eating them or using them in cooking. So if I was gonna make oatmeal in the morning for breakfast, for example, I would soak it the night before. And the soaking process helps to kind of pre-digest it. It doesn't need to cook as long, which saves some, some fuel. Um, and then it also makes it easier to digest by helping to um, pre-digest and break down some compounds in the grain, most notably the phytic acids. Um, same would be true of the nuts. So if I was going to make a pesto, I would soak the nuts first, strain them off, and then add them into my pesto. Um, so I think a lot about that. And then the other thing that I think about is what we were talking about before, the, the question that we sort of already answered, just this idea that I'm putting intention into everything that I do, um, that I really believe, as you do, in that um, the attitude and attention that I put into not just preparing my food, but sourcing my ingredients, right? Um, I mean, I believe that all that energy that is in the food before it gets into my house also permeates the the energy and the nutrition of it. Um, and then as I'm cooking it, then all of that is um, all the, the attention to detail and the intention that I'm infusing it with is becoming part of the nourishment that I can then offer to both myself during the preparation process and during the eating process and that I can offer to others during the eating process. You have made meal prep and eating so sexy. I'm just like, tell me more. <laughs> I just want to sit at your like kitchen island and just be like, uh-huh. <laughs> what else? Well, it really can be that. And I think the sad reality of 
of, of our current cultural situation is that because we're, it's so pervaded by consumerism and yeah. consumerism teaches us that things move so quickly um, and that we're actually, the goal is really just get it done as quickly as possible with as least input as possible, which might mean financial investment or time investment, um, that we just have skipped a huge part of it, um, both in terms of intention around sourcing ingredients and also intention around preparing. And so there's something, I love that, we're, that you use the word romance because I think there is something really romantic and sexy and alluring about the possibility that life could slow down enough that you could actually enjoy something like cooking. And I know some of your listeners are probably like, yes, I love cooking. And maybe others don't give it the time. Um, and with a lot of my clients, that's kind of a, they'll, they'll tell me that it's just not something they choose to prioritize. Um, and I think that healing that, that like reestablishing re a relationship with the importance of taking time to nourish ourselves is something healing, not only for ourselves, but for our larger culture. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, David, my other half, he has these beautiful stories. He's Italian. His family came over on the boat and landed in uh, Jersey. And he has these stories of growing up where his grandfather would say, hey, David, would you like some lunch? And David would be like, absolutely. And grandpa would be in the kitchen for an hour and a half making lunch. <laughs> and he said it could literally be a sandwich. And grandpa would, you know, uh, grind the, the meat, like he would have the meat slicer and he would get the herbs from the garden and he probably made bread that day. And like, it was a real uh, love affair with how he made the sandwich and and you know part of it was lost on david because he's like dude like slam together a peanut butter and jelly sandwich here like we don't need to spend so much time but as he got older he realized and and, and later appreciated now that he's with me you know because i do the same thing when i'm in the kitchen is this idea of really taking the time to honor the food respect the process. And it, you actually have this great quote in your book. You say, understand and awakening your sense of taste helps guide you in the kitchen. So you enjoy your meals and make more empowered food choices. I love that. Because I, I think that you're right. We are so caught up in convenience for the sake of progress. And it's like, we've, we've lost the point. It's not about can we make it faster, cheaper, quicker, and stand up and slam it down. It's about the experience that it gives us, and it's about the, the intention that it gives back to us and what it, how it feeds us. And so I love this idea that it empowers us to make better food choices because when we are intentional, then we can say, hey, you know what? I'm going to have oatmeal in the morning, but I'm going to soak it tonight. That takes a thought process. Totally. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, definitely. One of the things that uh, you talk about in the book is that you have learned about uh, Ayurveda, Western herbalism, and Chinese medicine. And I was just curious, you know, what those are, how they're different. Like, what do those look like and how are they different? Yeah, so um, the, so all these different traditional healing systems from around the world, um, I, I'm going to call them constitutional systems of medicine. Basically, what, 
what they do is they look at patterns that they see in the universe around and those would be the macrocosm patterns and then they zoom into the microcosm which in this case would be the human body and say how do we see these natural patterns that exist outside of us in nature manifesting in the body and how would those patterns be similar so these are what we call constitutional forms of medicine one of the principles is you know just learning from the natural environment um, and then the plants or other natural um, substances, whether they be food or things like water, um, work to support um, imbalance in the system to help balance out the body. Um, so that's kind of one of the concepts. And the other concept with a constitutional form of medicine is that it assesses each person constitutionally. And it says, you and I have different constitutions and therefore we have slightly different needs, both herbally, um, food-wise, um, energy expenditure-wise, sleep-wise, etc. So in other words, there's no two people are the same and we're always looking at the individual. Um, so those are two really important concepts of it. And in our, as I'm sure a lot of people are imagining as I say these things, um, our current healthcare system does not take those kinds of things into consideration, right? It's sort of a more one size fits all model with a little bit of variation here and there. And so what I love about the constitutional forms of medicine and why I've studied them so extensively is that they give me that opportunity to address each person individually and to really tailor to the unique needs of the individual person, which I think is at the root of sort of holistic wellness, if you will. Um, and so um, what, when I talk about combining those three things, what I'm really doing is I'm using Western herbs, which are mostly herbs that are native to this bioregion that I live in. I live in the Northeast. Um, and so I'm mostly, I would say 90, probably 85% of the plants I use in my medicinal practice are either native to the Northeast or implants from Europe. So they're of the Western tradition. But I'm using them through the lens of an Ayurvedic energetic principle or an Ayurvedic constitutional model. Um, and Ayurveda, for those who don't know, is um, traditional Indian medicine um, and a really just incredible system of medicine. So um, what, what Ayurveda and Chinese medicine offer me in my practice is um, the ability to not only look at folks constitutionally, but also to look at, at people energetically. And so what that means is that um, if let's say three people came into my office in one given day and each one of their primary concerns was anxiety, um, I would not work with any one of those people in the same way because I would be looking at what energetic patterns are presenting in their body. So one person might have really hot and fiery anxiety. Maybe they have anxiety that comes with some rage or um, you know, very changeable emotions, um, or maybe there's lots of frustration involved, where someone else might have anxiety that's really of a more cold, dry nature, which would be a lot more weepy and sad or you know, kind of poor me feelings of um, a lot more just feelings of shame or isolation, and those in completely different ways. So even though I might be using herbs for the nervous system for all the three of those people, each one would have a different energetic pattern. And that's really what my background in Ayurveda and Chinese medicine allows me to, to do is to help people um, constitutionally like that with different energetic patterns. And same would be true of digestion. I mean, I can't tell you how many times um, someone, I, I teach a lot and a student will come in and they'll say, oh, you know, I have like, let's say gas or constipation. That's an even better example. I have constipation and they look up herbs for constipation. They start taking them, but they don't help. 
And I can immediately tell them exactly why, because it's energetic. You're taking a cold herb for a cold, bitter herb, and you actually need to be warm and moist. And so I can immediately see where, why that herb didn't work for them, even though it's a classic herb for quote unquote constipation. So it really allows me to be so much more effective in my practice. I love the idea of really being able to customize it. And also, I hate to word the use introduce, but introducing the idea that one size does not truly fit all. Our culture really thinks that it is because here's a pill and it fixes everything. So I think that it, it's, a, and the thing that I love too about approaching food and herbs and herbal medicine in this way is the idea that not only can you customize it, but it really picks up on your energy system before it becomes a physical symptom. So in our Western system, it's all about, well, call me when it like shows up on your skin or it like really manifests. Until then, don't bug me. Whereas this level of food and, and this level of herbalism is more about the subtleties. It's very soft. You're dealing with the whispers and, and the, the things that are starting to show up. So it's like a, a little tap, like we should be paying attention to this. Yes. And, and I think a lot of people are, are they don't look at um, caring for themselves in this way, which brings me to this idea, our food system is really broken and it, it's riddled with a lot of ill intent, a lot of greed. And so I know the answer to this, but for those who are listening today who may be new to this idea or maybe haven't thought of their food in this way, why should everybody approach their food and the way that they view food and herbal medicine in this way? In what way? Um, in the way of intentional living? And a lot more intentional about it and a lot more intentional about not just slamming their food down. And then just what you were talking about with like constipation, there's two yeah. ways to, you know, look at it and, and one size does not fit all. And so um, I think that uh, looking at food in this way and approaching it in this way is so important. So why should everybody approach their food as you do or as I do versus the westernized way of, you know, slamming it together and, well, it says on the internet that it's going to do this for me, you know, the kind of way of thinking, so to speak. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say th three reasons are immediately coming to mind. The first being that, um, it is an investment in your current reality or lifestyle that will pay off later on. So in the way that you were talking um, just about how um, we wait, we don't really look at the subtlety of symptoms. We wait until something becomes more serious to address it. And then we find ourselves with a chronic health issue that needs to be, or maybe even a terminal health issue that needs to be um, addressed in a much more serious way. And herbal medicine can work to, uh, to, um, with those things. Absolutely. But it works even better if we work with it preventatively. So I think what it is, is an investment in your future. Um, and I think it's an, also an investment in your state of being. I think that we, we suffer from a lot of psycho-spiritual imbalances in our culture and that people do not always are not always able to make the connection between the way they're living their daily life and the way they feel in their body. And you kind of mentioned that when you talked about, you know, waiting till the last minute to get the scan or the, the 
the medical help. Um, and I think it brings back the romance point in a really beautiful way. Um, we're missing a sensual connection with our own bodies. We connect, many people connect sensually with others, but we rarely connect sensually with ourselves. And I think that, that you know, going back to that quote about the, the smelling and the engaging your senses in the kitchen, food is an invitation to connect sensually with the natural environment and with your own body. And I think that that's just tremendously healing because it puts us in that relax, relaxation state. And um, stress is killing us in this culture. Um, Wait, both what? Yeah. <laughs> right? What are you talking about? I know, and, like, and people, people just know that. And, and it's almost like because everybody's so stressed, it's almost like we're just accepting it and we're not dealing with it, right? Because we're just not willing to change our lifestyles. We want to just take a pill. And that, I think, is what's really sad and, and what can be offered um, in, in this kind of reconnection. And then the, the last thing that I think is really important is um, – in the same way that these constitutional systems of medicine are looking at the macrocosm of the universe around us. Okay, so these are energetic patterns. We see patterns of heat, we see patterns of dryness, we see patterns of cold, and then we can see those same patterns in the human being, right? So the environment is the macrocosm, the human being is the microcosm. And we can reverse that and say that as the microcosm, the way that we act can actually have a healing effect on our environment. And we live in a culture and we're living on an earth that is not being treated with respect and you know is not being placed first and so by by even no matter how small it feels by taking the time and engaging intentionally with um purchasing food or growing food in right relationship with the earth and then bringing it into your kitchen and preparing it in this loving harmonious gratitude filled way actually offers an element of healing back to the larger whole, both in the environment and in the economic structure, which I would say are unfortunately very intertwined. Um, and, and I think that that is another reason why everybody should be doing this, because it's how it's one of the many ways that we can do our part to be environmental activists, to be social activists, and to really just live like we care, not just about the earth, but about ourselves and others. I agree. So I'm curious for those who are listening today who really don't know where to start, but are, you know, completely enamored and lured by this idea of looking at food in a new way and want to start that relationship. What are some tips that you can offer them? I can say first and foremost, get the book, but what are some additional tips that you can offer them uh, to get them started in this way of thinking and to, the other thing I want to say really quick is you mentioned in the book is that, you know, when you got into the kitchen, it's like your hands started doing the talking, so to speak, like your hands kind of took over. And so I also want to mention if those who are listening today don't cook or are fearful of getting in the kitchen, one of the great things about Brittany's book is it encourages you and empowers you to want to get in the kitchen. There's nothing to fear about it. So with that aside, what are some tips that you can offer some people to get them kind of encouraged and excited about rekindling that relationship with their food and getting their butts in the kitchen in this new way? Wonderful. Well, the first thing is to really um, believe in the power of your own intention. And um, once you can do that, once you believe that your intentional awareness is going to have a, have a healing impact on you and your food um, and others, um, then the, the second, once you've mastered that, then no intention is too small. 
And that's the first most important piece of advice, um, I think. So that even just, if, if, it, if you never cook for yourself and you start out cooking for yourself once a week, fantastic. Give yourself a huge amount of credit and praise and love because you're making a really big important step. And that's where I think that empowerment piece comes in. And we have a tendency to just focus on the ways we're failing. Um, and culturally and individually. And so I think it's really important to acknowledge the ways that we're succeeding from the very beginning. And it's true that if you believe in the intentional, the intention you're putting into how you feed yourself, then no act is too small. So that would be the first thing, um, really believing and embodying that. And so with that, anytime you prepare food, you want to be bringing that life-giving quality to it. And, and even if you know, you're not able to prepare food on a given day, bring that life-giving quality to any food that you eat. If you purchase it in a restaurant, bring that, that feeling to it. Um, and I recommend that everybody has at least a very simple, short, quick um, gratitude practice before they eat because that puts us into our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest state. Um, that's so important for the absorption of nutrients. So even if you are at like a fast food place or eating in the car, you need to have a moment just, and you don't have to shut your eyes even, if, especially if you're in the car, <laughs> you just say, thank you. Right. Um, and then if you want to be a little more involved, what I do is at each meal, I light a candle. No matter how short or how long, I light the candle. And the candle holds space for me and my family while we're eating. Um, and I have a one-year-old daughter. And so every time we have a meal, we light the candle and we sing a song. And now if I don't, her, her she doesn't talk really. So her, her candle sign is <laughs> to blow. <laughs> and so if I don't light the candle, she'll be sitting there. <laughs> telling me that you need to light the candle and she'll, and she'll kind of hum with me while I sing. And so that is a way that you can not only connect with yourselves and with your food and the, the earth that's feeding you, but also with others. So um, I talk a lot about that in Recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen. There's a chapter, the last chapter is called Share. And I talk a lot about those practices of gratitude and sharing that, that every time we eat, we're sharing a gift that the earth has offered to us. Um, and I think that that can be just, just kind of reframing and having that mindset um, can be uh, really helpful for folks. Um, and then the other thing for those either that are new to cooking or particularly if you're already cooking, to start to think about um, why you do the things you do the way that you do. So a lot of folks, for example, make tomato sauce and put basil in it or they put cinnamon in their oatmeal. And maybe they think they just do it because they like the taste or it's a pattern they've developed over time. But start to think about why do I do the things I do in the kitchen? Because that's the reverse of the intention, right? So the intention is I'm doing this because of this. And then the other side is I do this. How have I been nourishing myself for all these years maybe without even knowing? Um, and if you read the book in particular, a lot, one of the things I talk about continually is why historically and traditionally we do the things that we do. Um, why do we put basil in tomato sauce? Why do we soak these grains? Why do we leaven bread? You know, and, and then kind of understanding that really helps you understand that, that all of these cooking practices are rooted in good digestion. Um, and the last thing I would say is just to make a conscious effort to experiment cooking with more herbs. Because um, what herbs do so herbs have lots of physiological effects, um, but they um, have complex flavor profiles, especially compared to other foods. So 
Um, I wouldn't consider basil, for example, to be a staple food. You're not going to get very far if all you eat is basil. But potatoes, on the other hand, are a really good, healthy, stable, um, staple food. Cultures have lived on potatoes. Um, uh, wheat, for example, is another example. Dairy. These are staple foods, and these are the foods that humans or agriculturalists um, are, have been living off of uh, for, for generations. Herbs like basil or rosemary or thyme or sage are the herbs that we use to introduce complex flavors to those more kind of bland, heavy, staple foods that offer nourishment, but we need help digesting them. And so in come culinary herbs, we think, oh, because it tastes good, but actually historically, they're present in cooking to stimulate digestion and support and encourage the absorption of nutrients. So that kind of basic formula um, of when we cook with an herb, we're actually using it to offset or challenge or balance a flavor profile or an energetic tendency, and that, that supports the body. Um, uh, spicy salsa, for example, like a tomato-based salsa with jalapeno in it, and cilantro is a perfect example. The, the, um, the cilantro is cooling, and cooling energetically and cooling to the taste buds. So we put it into spicy dishes to help balance the heat. Um, and so there's lots of and lots and lots of examples like that. So I think for folks to be able to just cook with more herbs and know that the basic kind of understanding behind that is that that will help with them with the digestion of their food. And then off, also offer other medicinal benefits as well. In recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen, I talk about the flavors, the medicinal profiles of all the flavors. And then I talk about, I extensively the different medicinal benefits of the culinary herbs so people can take it a step further but even without reading all those details they can know that anytime they cook with herbs they're supporting their body's ability to digest and assimilate nutrients i love this and i love your approach one of the things that you start the book out with it's literally in the first chapter as you say every great story has a hero Bottom line, most of us look to external things for solutions, but the wisdom is within us. I think that everything that you're talking about is kind of summed up in that sentence as far as the yin and the yang, the cooling and the heat. Um, and, and I think that if you can completely wrap that in, how your approach is to how you cook, utilizing the herbs in an intelligent and intentional way, um, and then tapping it off with this idea of gratitude. I love the idea of lighting a candle. Um, it, it creates a portal for this experience that you're about to have with food. Um, I think that uh, I'm hoping that everybody who's listening to this today um, really does rekindle the relationship that they have with food. And I want to reiterate Brittany's book, Recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen, really taps into all of these um, theories and philosophies, why it matters, um, this whole idea of why our meals matter and how we should approach it. It talks a lot about the digestion um, and also about the five tastes, which you just uh, touched on a little bit. Um, if people would like to learn more about you, Brittany, uh, in addition to your book, how can they find you? How can they stalk you? <laughs> so my um, business is called Time Herbal. Time is spelled like the herb, T-H-Y-M-E, herbal. And um, through my website, you can, I have um, some posters. I actually have a poster on culinary herbal medicine if folks are interested in having just something in their kitchen, a visual in their kitchen. Um, 
and some other books, and I have an online class, um, an introduction to home herbal medicine. So you can find all that through my website and all the social media channels and other ways to stalk me. <laughs> I have a blog also. Um, so that's fantastic, by the way. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to mention about the book, since folks aren't seeing it as we talk about it, is just to let people know that it has a lot of pictures. And so even though it it has a lot of information. I think that it's relatively easily digestible, the information, because it's in short segments and recipes and there's lots of visuals. So um, you'll get lots of learning and also hopefully lots of visual inspiration, that sensual piece we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah, it is, it, it is a feast for the eyes for sure and the stomach. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for saying yes to this. This was such an exciting um, interview. I, I'm so excited that you said yes to this. I, I, I love this love affair that you have with food and how you see food and the importance of gathering together over a delicious, healthful meal, I think is so important. And it, it's really getting us back to basics, which is where we need to be. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, Amanda. It's an honor. For those of you who have listened to the show consistently, I'm sure you are starting to see a pattern here on the way we should be living. Whether it's self-care through a healthy work-life balance, which I discussed with Toby Fairley in Podcast 20, to improving humanity through nurturing your karma from Podcast 26, or reconnecting with the rhythms of nature through meditation, which I discussed in podcasts 28 and 29 with Sade Simone and Emily Fletcher, or being able to intuit who we truly are by getting rid of our stress and tapping into the moon cycles, which we learned in podcast 32 and 33. When I talk about getting the energy right in your home, it all matters. Chi or energy is an ethereal light and fluffy energy when it is well nurtured and cared for. It's the heavy stuff, the dense stuff, the gross below the cross stuff that keeps us held back. When the energy in our food, clothes, purchases, habits, cleaning products, daily care, when all of that is in harmony with Mama Earth, we can reach our truest nature, our Tao. As Peter Matheson, teacher, naturalist, and Buddhist says, the lights that are within us lay dormant, but within us they can come back on if we know our Tao. Listen, it all matters. And when the chi around us and within us is healthy and strong, those lights within us shine bright. The foods you chop, prep, cook, and serve all matters. How you dine and gather matters. Through a nurtured meal with those we love, we can nurture ourselves. I was really excited to hear that Brittany has been a longtime listener to the show. What most of you do not know is that this show was started in 2011. That's right, I've been doing this a long time. It was originally under the name Zen Chakra. And then about a year in, I turned it into Design 101 to kind of umbrella all the different types of things I was doing and sharing and teaching. And it has since become Home Energy Design because I talk about the home, energy, and design. It's a little rough on the edges, the early shows, 
because I was really new at doing it. But it's still up to this day, so if you're interested, by all means, go check it out. Many of the guests that I had on the show in those early days are no different than the ones that I have on today. I think I'm just asking better questions. The point is, as a collective, when we work together, change can occur. We need to get back to the basics and start living a simpler life, pretty much like the ones our grandparents lived. Nurturing our slower lives, slowing down, gathering, building community, those are the things that matter. Not this chaos and this push, push, push and trying to do more. It's not serving us. It's stressing us out. And we're all getting pretty damn jaded. So I encourage all of you to pick up a copy of Brittany's stunning book. And hey, this is the cool part. You can find a copy on her website, timeherbal.com. And time is like the herb, T-H-Y-M-E. If you enter in code A G podcast 2018 she's offering up 20% off to everything in her store not just the book but I encourage all of you to get the book it is such a beautiful stunning way to learn how to chop prep cook and serve all of your food in a way that matters and also gather with those that you love All right, everyone, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at letschatatthegatescompany.com. For more information, you can visit our website at gatesinteriordesign.com and be sure to check out our YouTube channel. You can just go over to YouTube and type in Gates Interior Design or Amanda Gates. All right, everyone, trust the vibe because the energy never lies.